Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Year with Jesus, where we are learning to think, live, and love like Jesus. I'm Philip. And I'm Bill. And this week, we are in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. It's exciting, Bill, to be starting another gospel, to look at an eyewitness bringing us this information about Christ. But this is a little bit different kind of witness, isn't it? Yes, yes. Definitely different from the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark. In the gospel of Luke, Luke is a Greek who is writing the book to a specific person, to a man named Theophilus, who is, he says in verse 4, who is another Greek. Yeah, and Luke is going to be able to draw on a lot of the miracles that he's seen. He's going to be able to draw on the interactions he's had with the apostles. But he actually has to do a lot of research to go back and find the details about the life of Christ. And so we get this great statement that he wants to, uh, verse 3, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out to you in consecutive order. He wants to give us a really clear narrative in a, a very clear order about the things that really happened that he had looked into. And it really reminds us that we all have a responsibility and an opportunity to investigate who is Jesus. That's right. Especially in verse four, he says, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. Luke doesn't want you to just take these things to take these things. And I don't think God intends for us to do that with the scriptures either. I think he intends for us to investigate, intends for us to see what the eyewitnesses said, which is what he does in verse two. Luke was not an eyewitness to these things, but he was around the people who were. And so he goes and he talks to them and and, and he gets these different servants of the word. And now he's like, okay, here's everything that I've compiled. And so Luke actually begins a little bit different than Matthew and Mark do. How so? Well, he's going to start putting some emphasis here on the very early days, right? Rather than just showing Jesus as the Messiah or showing Jesus as the Son of God, Luke is going to first show us that Jesus is human, that Mm -hmm. Jesus had this childhood, he had this life that we can all relate to. And that's just one of the things that makes his gospel unique. If we start thinking about all of the things that really set him apart from Matthew or from Mark, there's a couple of big themes here. And the emphasis in these two chapters today on Mary and Elizabeth hits on one of them. Yeah, the Gospel of Luke emphasizes uh, there's a number of different themes. You have the theme of women, and really women are highlighted in this Gospel. You have even the the concept of the Gentiles, and you kind of see that even in the story of the Good Samaritan that we'll see later on that only shows up in the Gospel of Luke, and even the concept of the outcasts and how the outcasts, the undesirables, are allowed to come in. We'll see Jesus at the house of a a Pharisee, and a sinful woman is the person who actually shines in, in, in a bright light in that story. Yeah, and I think all three of those themes are really important in this gospel, this idea of the women and the outcasts and the Gentiles. And what we see in chapter one is that Elizabeth kind of fits two of those categories. Mm -hmm. She is both a woman and she's going to be considered somewhat of an outcast by being barren. But God looks at them and specifically says in verse five that she and her husband were righteous and walking blamelessly in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. What an incredible commentary on the way they had been living their life. That's right. And and so John the Baptist's parents, who the gospel of Mark begins with John the Baptist, but here in Luke, we get it again. But now John the Baptist's parents, his dad, we find out, is actually was, was a priest who was serving in the temple. And while he is serving this good and righteous man, while he's serving, God says, do not be afraid for your petition. You can just imagine they had been asking for a child. Your yes. petition has been heard and your wife will give birth to a child and his name will be John. And he actually questions in verse 18. And because he questions, kind of an odd thing happens to him. So he says, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
And he says, okay, well, this is how you're going to know for certain. Right. Gabriel is this angel. And he's like, um, excuse me. Basically, everything that I say absolutely happens, right? Yeah. And, and like, who are you to doubt this? And so he's made mute, which then leaves Elizabeth and later Mary to be the main speakers in these chapters. And it lets their story or their part of the story be really highlighted here. Before we go past this, I've got to point out in verse 17, Bill, that the angel also lets him know that John the Baptist is going to serve a very important function. Mm -hmm. He is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. And I just think with us as fathers, how important it is that we make sure that our hearts are turned towards raising them to know the Lord, raising them to live a righteous life. Absolutely. I think you even see whenever John is born at the end of chapter one, and even in in Jesus's birth in chapter two, in the latter part of chapter two with him as a young man, you just see the spirit that they both have in wanting to turn people's hearts back to God. Uh, but Philip, I actually wanted to go back to something you were mentioning earlier with the idea that like, so Zechariah, this man who should have been proclaiming and announcing the good thing that the Lord had done for him, he's now made mute. And so we have these women who God is going to to either speak to or speak, uh, yeah, speak to. You have Jesus, is his birth is foretold. He goes to Mary and he tells Mary, okay, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And now she's confused. She's perplexed, but maybe I'll throw this out here, a question for you. So she's confused and Zechariah is confused. What's the difference between the two of them? Why does Zechariah get made mute and Mary not so much? Right. You see something incredible about Mary, especially as a young woman, that she has this willingness to believe that the Lord will do these things. And she has this willingness to say, I'll just be part of your plan. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty significant in the book of Luke, because although he's going to address a lot of different groups, the overarching message in Luke and in Acts is that God has a plan. He has a plan to save the whole world. And we're going to see that plan carried out ultimately through Jesus Christ, who's being brought into the world here through Mary. Yeah, I love that. Again, and I think you even see with Mary, and, and you even think about it now. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were barren, but they were married. Mary was unmarried. She was a virgin. And so you can tell her confusion would have made even a little bit more sense. But even through all of that, her trust in God and her willingness to say, okay, God, whatever you have in mind. Uh, and so Mary then, she, I mean, we talked about this earlier. I want to kind of kick it back to you here. So Mary hears these things. She hears this angel come talk to her. And and part of the the sign for her is, hey, your cousin Elizabeth, she's she's pregnant. And so what does, who does Mary then go talk to? Right. Mary quickly, verse 39 says, in a hurry goes to Elizabeth. And we've got to understand the power of this friendship between these two women. It's a multi-generational friendship. Elizabeth is much older, but Mary wants to go to her because this nearly unbelievable thing has happened. And who could believe that an angel has come to you and told you that you're going to have a baby? Well, Elizabeth could believe that because that's Mm -hmm. exactly what's happened to Elizabeth. And maybe to your earlier question as well, it's not just that Mary is doubting whether it would happen, but her question in chapter 1, verse 34 was, how can this happen? That's right. Right? How can this be? And she's understanding and being taught that it's the power of God that makes all these things possible. And Elizabeth— 
she would have that same kind of question. How can this be? Well, it's because God has willed it and God has planned it. And so Mary then has this incredible statement, we call it the Magnificent, where she starts sharing what's in her heart. Bill, where do you think these words and expressions come from? Yeah, so much of these are just different Psalms. It's a collection of the Psalms that she's kind of saying right now and her praise to God and her thanksgiving and her willingness to trust God's plan. And I just, I love the image here that like Mary is the person that God decides to use as as the, the vessel by which he's going to bring his son in the world. And you see that she's a favored one, but she's not just favored because God chose her as opposed to other women, but you see that she's a virgin. You see how she knows the scriptures. You see the kind of person that she is. And I think that you see just by Mary that we can live in such a way in which we make ourselves even more useful to the Lord. You know, and it's really interesting to me as I was reading it this morning is to think that she stays with Elizabeth for about three months it's not like she's gone to the hill country to hide her pregnancy. Just about the time she's really going to be showing is mm-hmm. when she comes back home because she is thrilled with what God is doing through history. And she sees God's great mercy upon those who are weak and in need. She sees God's great strength in, in all of that. I also think maybe it's, it's also a, it would have been helpful for Joseph and for maybe the whole scenario Mary, we know where she was for these three months. These three months where where maybe there there might have been any questions. Mary could have said, here is where I was. I was with Elizabeth and also coincidentally, you know, six months when she goes to Elizabeth. Now it's three months later. Probably it's it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. It would be a good time for Mary to go. But I think there there is maybe something there in in a maybe socially a protection for Mary in that you could validate where she was for these for these three months where she would have potentially gotten pregnant. Very good. Very good. So then the story shifts away from these women and back to the children that they are actually carrying. And we get this emphasis on John being born at the end of chapter one. And although the family wants to name him something else, Zacharias writes on a tablet, his name is John. Mm -hmm. Suddenly his tongue is now loosed. He's able to speak again. And everyone is saying, what kind of kid is this going to be with so many miracles around his conception and his birth? Yeah, again, his tongue was loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. The thing he should have done earlier, he's doing now. And I love that, even that idea there, because he begins and he says, the Lord, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. I'm assuming John feels that, especially even personally. But you just kind of go throughout this thing and, and, and as he's praising God, it's not even so much praising God just for the birth of his son, but I think it's praising God for what God is going to do in the birth of Jesus. Yeah, verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He knows that his son is not the Messiah, but he knows that he's a forerunner. Mm-hmm. That he's one that's going to prophesy and speak about what God is accomplishing. Verse 77, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of of our God. It's just tremendous here to get the emphasis on salvation. And then verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. There's this idea from the very beginning in Luke's gospel that this is not going to be confined only to the Jewish people. This is for the whole world. Those that have been in the darkness are going to receive the light of Christ. That's right. That's right. And so as chapter one comes to its conclusion, it says the child continued to grow, which we'll see the same thing will happen with Jesus, but the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit. And then it says, uh, speaking about John the Baptist, he lives in the deserts until the days of his public appearance to Israel. So chapter two, we'll get, so John has been born. This is great. God's word came true. 
Well, Mary's been pregnant. She hasn't given birth yet. So chapter two, we'll get a little bit of information about the birth of Jesus and what was going on in those days. Yes, the chapter begins with Luke giving us another one of his hallmark characteristics, which is to call out the Roman officials that were reigning at that time. It's tremendously helpful in setting our chronology as we study this gospel. And so we see here it's during the time of Caesar Augustus that the census is going to be taken. We get the record that Joseph is going to leave Galilee, leave Nazareth, and come down to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. We have these credentials here. The Messiah, everyone knew, was going to come from the family of David, and they even expected him here to come from this small town. And, and so you have these, this praise that Mary says in chapter 1, the praise that Zechariah says in chapter 1, what Elizabeth says about Mary at the end of, in, the, in the middle of chapter 1, and Jesus is born, and he's born in a manger because there's no room in the inn. And then where you would assume, you know, if a king, if the prince is born, you would assume these high officials are coming and praising him, shepherds come, and they're keeping watch, and they're praising him. But then suddenly, and I love this because this is, it's almost like Luke gives us a, and I know everything seems humble, but remember who this still is, because in yes. chapter 2, verse 13, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so all of this, Jesus obviously comes from very earthly, humble beginnings, but we should not forget that he is still God. And Luke does not want us to forget that either. That's right. And we see in verse 19, Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart, that she understands something incredible and significant is happening here because of what God wants to do in the world through this child, through Jesus. And so verse 20, the shepherds go back glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. And so then as as because Jesus is man. They present him at eight years old in the temple as would have been their Jewish custom. And Philip, you were making a point a little bit earlier about kind of like, you can see with when they present him, what they present him with, that kind of gives us a little bit of an indication about maybe his upbringing a little bit. Yes, it does. We understand that Mary and Joseph were not extremely wealthy. They were most likely very poor. According to verse 23, the sacrifice that they bring as an offering to the Lord— is, uh, excuse me, in verse 24, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. They just bring these small birds, which was the cheaper sacrifice for Mm -hmm. those that couldn't afford something. And so I hope that every young family, every young set of parents that's listening to the podcast can just go back and say, okay, God was taking care of Mary. God was taking care of Joseph. God was taking care of their children. And God's going to be with us when we're seeking to do what's good and what's right. It's not about our financial position or wealth in order to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen, amen. And so they take him into the temple, and in the temple there's these two people, uh, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and we, we find out that he's righteous, we find out that he's devout, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He gets told, Simeon, you will not die until you have seen uh, the, the consolation of Israel. And yes. when baby the baby Jesus comes, he, he just comes, and he says, I he love this idea. Up. Yeah, it's like just takes this baby, which... You can just imagine a stranger taking your child. It's like, well, hey, hang on a second. But then he's, he blesses God. Yeah, and in verse 32, his blessing is really unique. He says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. So he's speaking again about Jews and Gentiles benefiting from this child who has been born. But then he tells Mary something really, really precious and really, really difficult. In verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
Mary is told from the very beginning, Jesus is only eight days old here, that this life that he lives is going to have some trauma to it. It's Mm -hmm. going to have some strong emotional connections, and she's being prepared for that. And the Holy Spirit here is using Simeon, and then next in verse 36 is using a prophetess. And we don't talk about prophetesses a lot, but Anna is a perfect example of what a prophetess would be in the New Testament. She's a godly woman. She's devoted to prayer. She's not a Levite. She's not like charging into the tabernacle Mm -mm. or the temple and trying to take over what the Levites are doing, but she's just there. She's devoted to prayer. She's devoted to God. And she, recognizing who Christ is through the Spirit, she comes up and gives thanks to God and speaks of Jesus to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's just having these important conversations with the people that she meets in her everyday life, saying that God has a plan, Mm -hmm. God is keeping his promises, and that Jesus is here. It's just a beautiful picture of this prophetess. That's right. And so then they perform everything according to the law of the Lord. They return to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth, again, just to help us understand he's not coming from these great noble places. But in verse 40, the child continued to grow. Uh, He was becoming strong. He was increasing in wisdom and in the grace of God. Now, Luke gives us a story that we don't have in any other gospel, which is whenever Jesus was 12, as, as was their custom every year, they would go up to the feast of the Passover and they go, and after they return, they realize that he actually, he, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know, and they were seeking him. It was three days before they find him. And when they find him, he's sitting in the temple. He's he's listening to the teachers. He's asking them questions. And I just love this picture, verse 47. They're all amazed at his understanding and his answers. Yeah, he seems to be a lot like his mom. She is saturated with scripture. She's saturated with the Psalms. And we saw that already. And he is also saturated, but I think maybe different from Mary, that he's beginning to show that he has a far more advanced understanding of the meaning and the heart of the scriptures than even these well-studied adults. And that's significant for each one of us to begin again to think about the identity of who this child is. That's right. And in verse 40, we see that he was growing in wisdom and in the and 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 becoming strong. Verse 52, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. But there's something that's interesting. So Mary says, Why have you done this to us? And Jesus' comment, I actually think, is a thread that will follow itself throughout the book, because he'll say, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know? And depending on your translation, some will say, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Some other translations will say, do you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? But I think that this is what Jesus came to do, is that he came not just to be in the house of the father, but he came to bring people to the house of the father. I I think that there's this thread, and this is just the introductory one on Luke, so I think it's appropriate to say it here, but Luke begins with the temple. Zechariah's in the temple. You have Anna and Simeon in the temple. You have Jesus saying, I must be in the house of the Father in the temple. And it actually will end with the disciples in the temple praising God in Luke chapter 24. And I think that this is one of the big threads in the book is that God is, Jesus is trying to bring people back to the house of God, that he's trying to help us you know, fix our minds and fix our hearts to be about the Father's business. And you see him even at a young age. This isn't, you know, 30-year-old Jesus doing this, that even at 12 years old, He's got his mind and he's got his heart wanting to be about the Father's business and wanting to be in the Father's house. And it should really inspire us, yes, to draw closer to the Father, but to also know that 
drawing close to the Father is a growing process. Mm -hmm. We get that sense in verse 40 of this growing in wisdom. We get that description in verse 52 that he's growing in favor with God. And so, you know, it's something great for us all to realize is that we're all growing. Mm -hmm. Jesus went through periods of growing, even though he's divine, even though he's the son of God, he was growing. And you and I, we've got to be growing as well. Amen. And so as we think about the gospel of Luke, and particularly Luke chapters one and two, I I just, I love the praise that's around everything here. I mean, like Zechariah, who would not praise God, he was made mute. But then Mary, sorry, Elizabeth praises, Mary, Mary praises, Anna praises, Simeon praises. And there's just the shepherds, the, the angels. shepherds praise. Yeah, the angels praise. Exactly. It's just, it's all throughout these first two chapters. We're just, we're flooded with this picture that whenever we are confronted with the person of Jesus, that what our natural response needs to be is praise to God. And I, and I just, I love that Luke is even setting that up for us. And it's anybody can do this. Anybody can. And we can praise God even when our the answer to our prayers feels like it's being delayed, mm-hmm. right? You've got John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth here, and they must have been praying for a child year after year after year. And yet the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Yeah. And the delay there was for their own good. Their delay of God's blessing them with this child was not because of any deficiency or sin. It was actually because they were righteous mm-hmm. and they were well positioned to be used to God's glory in God's family in this unforgettable way. And so in our own prayers, we need to give praise even for the things that feel like they're delayed. That's right. And I wonder if there's a lesson for us to learn in these chapters, maybe even just specifically from Mary. I love the idea of Mary treasuring all these things. We have it at the end of chapter two. We have it at the middle of chapter two. We have it at the end of chapter one. Mary's just, she treasures things in her heart. And I think so many things happen in our lives that we, that happen and then we just completely forget about, you know, and we don't value and we don't treasure them. And I think Mary would have been someone who would have been able to look back, remembered God's word, but also look back the things that God had done in her life and had been able to treasure those things. And I think that if we live more like that, it increases our faith in God. Absolutely. And for Mary here, losing your kid for three days in a big city is a really stressful idea. I mean, we would get panicked if we lost our kid at Disney for 45 minutes, much less a big city for three days. When it says that she treasured them there, it's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling, isn't Mm -hmm. it? No, yeah, for sure. It's like, I mean, this is like, it wasn't just like, oh, this, I feel good about this, but like she found value in all these things. And she sees again, the value of, of, like God's faithfulness, I mean, even the idea of I found my son and where I found my son and where if I ever lost him, where I'd know to go because this is who he is. But you could just imagine like throughout her life and throughout Jesus's ministry and even afterwards, I just imagine Mary looking back and saying, this was always going to be the plan. This is always who he was. This is always who God has been, is someone who is faithful and someone who is true to his word. And you know, this insight into how she responds to these events and these memories, this suggests to us what we started in chapter one, that Luke was looking for those eyewitnesses that most likely Luke has talked to Mary. Mm -hmm. Luke has heard directly from the mother of Christ what this was like to raise Jesus, what it was like to begin to see how he was set apart from everyone else. And it gives us a lot of excitement that he's going to provide continual information through this gospel that shows us how Jesus was performing the will of God and bringing us back to the Father's house. Amen. And just one last thing I think I'd like to throw in there is like Luke 2.52 is something that that I that I pray every night for my kids, uh, for my boys, that, that as they grow, that they would increase in wisdom. They're going to increase in stature or age, however you want to view that, but that they would increase in favor with God first and foremost, but also with men. And I see, I think you see Jesus growing in that way. I think you see John the Baptist at the end of chapter one, he grows in that way. 
And I think it should be our prayer that our kids grow in the same way as well. Absolutely. This is the most information we have about Jesus from 12 to 30. Mm -hmm. And so for all of our young adults that are listening, from 12 to 30, hey, guess what your job is? Grow in these four areas. That's how we walk in the footsteps of Christ. Well, we thank you so much for listening to A Year with Jesus today. We've been in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. We hope you'll join us next week as we get into chapter 3 and chapter 4. If you want the full reading schedule, it's available online at embryhills.com slash podcast.